Why is recorded in front of a live studio audience. It's like when I watched that, so disturbing. I watched the Woodstock documentary. Did you end up mm. watching it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it was really upsetting, um, which I knew it would be. I was right. prepared. But th- some of the bands that were on there, like, given shout outs to like, please stop molesting the women. I was like, right. oh, I suddenly like you. But <laughs> like, <laughs> yes and no. I feel like I there's know. a couple who was like, I mean, even the Chili Peppers, when they called them over, like, guys, they made me it's, mad. It's getting ugly. And then there, did you see the response that they had? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh no, Jimi Hendrix's family wanted us to play fire. I'm like, yeah. Right. No. But. Oh no. I'm mad at the Chili Peppers. Like, they went down notches for me. But I can't remember if it was, who what, was it, Slipknot? Somebody really random. The Offspring. I mean, I kind yes. of liked The Offspring, but he was like, I was like, yeah, no, they were much more, um, yeah, cool about it all than I would have thought. Yes. What are they up to? I don't know, but I mean, they're keeping them separated. I know that. Well, yeah. Is that a full-time thing now or do they have other things? I don't know. I mean, they're not under 18, so they'd be doing time now. That's true. That's very, very good. True. This is why with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. You started off playing classical piano, correct? And how did that morph into what you've been doing since then? Um, let's see. The first morphing stage was I was listening to, um, like, piano was the only instrument I knew. Um, and I was listening to a lot of Tori Amos and Sarah McLaughlin, like those are kind of my middle school, you know, favorites. And so I was kind of learning how to play some of their stuff because I love to sing and play. And so that kind of got me in the direction of trying to write songs. Um, And from there, a little bit later on, like towards the end of high school, um, I started listening to a little bit more electronic music and kind of experimental, more out there stuff. Um, and I just became fascinated with, I think I was, um, I loved the idea of having more sounds at my fingertips than the piano because I wasn't, all my songs sounded like not good Sarah McLaughlin songs. (laughs) 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 Trying to, you know, expand. I, I, I could play guitar as well, but I wanted to make new sounds, you know? And so when I started listening to music that was doing that, I became more fascinated, excuse me, more fascinated with music production and just, yeah, creating, creating more unique sounds. So from there, um, I started to try to teach myself how to produce kind of more electronic music. And then, you know, I sort of found my way back to uh, some kind of blend where I'm mixing, you know, synths, textures and weirder stuff with you know, there's nothing better sometimes than a a drum kit and a bass guitar and piano, but yeah. So just, that was kind of my journey and it's just all been a lot of trial and error and it's, it's been a long journey, you know, I've been doing Mm -hmm. it for messing around for a long time. So So how do you do that? Like as a musician, obviously predominantly piano, how do you figure out and know that this is where the bass comes in and this, this needs a real trumpet or this is better electron. How, 
how is it just in your soul? Is it something like you said, trial and error where you're like, Oh dear Lord, that's terrible. Let's put this in here. Now. <laughs> so much of that. So many bad songs. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I think it has a lot to do with both what's in your head and what you envision and you hope to achieve sonically, but also what you have at your re- as your resources. Um, so when I was first starting out, you know, I just had like a limited amount of maybe synth sounds and I hadn't figured out which plugins to go by. So, you know, I was working within the sounds that I had and eventually, you know, research and YouTube and you figure out, okay, I can, these are the sounds I can make with my computer setup, you know, but at that time I didn't really know how to collaborate with say a real drummer or so that wasn't really entering into my world until I actually worked at a studio as a composer years later um, that had a beautiful studio and an engineer. And I kind of got to watch, Oh, that's how, that's how you do the real stuff. (laughs) Um, You know, and I then could incorporate a real drummer or um, that was when I I released a few songs that um, had drums, guitar, uh, lap steel, some more real instruments. It was when I was working at that studio and figuring all that out. And now I've figured ways to do a lot of that remotely. Um, so, you know, just having a network of talented musicians that have great recording setups at home. Um, there's a drummer I work with a lot that, I mean, he can, you send him a ref, a point of reference sonically. Like, I really like the drum sound of this band and this song. And he's like, okay, great. And, you know, and we talk about what I'm going for and then he'll send me a few takes and it's always really great. And, you know, so I'm kind of amazed by what people can do with at home recordings. There's also a a cellist I worked with recently. And so even, you know, for film scores, there's a lot of orchestral stuff that's happening remotely. Um, That's kind of amazing. So yeah, it just, it takes a lot of experimentation and asking people, how did you do that? You know, to figure out how to incorporate the live sounds. And then as far as like, when you do it, yeah, it's just sort of, you go by feel. Um, if you have like, if you're working on a film and there's a budget that always helps like allow you to pay people, you know, yeah, amazing what that um, do. yeah right. <laughs> but sometimes when that's not there, I'll still, you know, spend a little bit so that I can get the sounds that I want. I think the most important thing is realizing your kind of vision as much to the degree that you can with what you've got basically. So that's just been evolving. <laughs> and what is that collaboration like between you and the director on, on these projects? How much free reign do you have? Obviously it varies person to person, but how much free reign do you usually have on a, on a score? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to work with directors who give me, who trust, tend to trust me to a certain degree and, and want me to explore and have fun and see what I come back with. Um, and with that said, I usually like to know kind of like what world they're in sonically. What are some of the other films that they've liked? What are film scores that kind of feel like they're in the right world? So I can kind of just zero in cause it's such a wide landscape of all the stuff you can do. Um, so yeah, usually we talk references and um, then with this last film with long weekend, um, I believe I started writing after reading the script 
and some of the scenes were really whimsical and romantic. And so I had ideas that came just from that. And then when I would actually see some of the footage, you know, that would inspire things a little bit. Like I could dial things in more once I started seeing the, the film. But yeah, it's an open collaboration. They, they, Steve, who I worked with on that film was wonderful to work with. And he had great ideas. You know, there were times where he would just give me a note that would turn it 10 degrees in a different direction. And, oh, you know, we'd agree that's, that's better. You know, how often does that happen in that process where you're sort of, you're envisioning what it's going to look like and you're working on stuff and then you see footage and you go, Oh no, that's not how this is supposed to go at all. You have completely derailed the vision. (laughs) Or does it usually track? (laughs) No, I mean, I think, I think it, it wasn't like there were no huge surprises, but I think specifically with this, with long weekend, there were certain things that you can't really know until you're watching it. You, you see the character um, and you feel the acting um, and yeah, you react from the different to the different moments in the scene. And that's something that's hard. You can't really, it's difficult to anticipate that kind of thing, but um yeah, sometimes it's like, oh, this is going to be a little more ominous and dark than I thought. And we're going to get really serious here. Or this is really magical. And I didn't envision that. And oh, look, they're shooting stars. And that inspires something new. So the visuals definitely add a lot to for me, you know, and, and inspire what I do. Well, the music, the soundtrack, it's it's stunning. It's really, really beautiful. And if you ever is so haunting. Thank you so much. So gorgeous. I almost was late to the interview because I was listening to it again. And I'm like, I've gone so much. I'm like, I better show up. I didn't send her the link. I got to make sure I'm on here. (laughs) But it's just a really exquisite piece of music. Gosh, I appreciate that so much. Thank you. That that song, um, that was one of the early things that I wrote for the film and because they were filming a scene where the actress was going to be kind of dancing to it. And so she, we needed to have the song going into filming that. Um, so yeah, it was kind of, you know, I felt a little bit of pressure to make something that felt kind of timeless and it's, you know, luckily it fell into place. Sometimes it takes a while and you have to like, kind of work at it and sometimes oh these are the chords and then the melody pops in and it wasn't wasn't terribly arduous to write that one so I was <laughs> thankful <laughs> and that's got to be a great benefit in writing the, the songs as well as the score that you can do some of the Henry Mancini John Barry stuff where you're evoking the theme and melody of the song and putting that into the score and vice versa and playing with those on a much broader scale and palette than you would in a short pop song. Sure. That's so true. That's, and that's such a fun thing to really be able to take a melody or a theme in a song and stretch it out over the course of a film or a whole scene and have a reoccurring melody. Um, Yeah. I think, I think it doesn't ever hurt to be in touch with the songwriter stuff as a composer and vice Mm -hmm. versa. They kind of interplay in a nice way. And, and yeah, it's always nice when, when the director says, we need a song. Like I can, I can do that. <laughs> 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 Sometimes. 
And it seems like too, that's gotta be such a different set of tools you're using for songwriting versus composing. Do you have to say, do you have a favorite is sort of a silly question, but is there one that you kind of roll up your sleeves and start rubbing your hands together and go, Oh, this is going to be fun. You mean songwriting versus scoring? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, gosh, they are so different and they're so, they're challenging in different ways. I mean, with composing, it's always a collaboration with a director. There's producers that weigh in, you know, there's a lot of, and that's an exciting part of it and helps to shape it. But you also have to consider this. You have to tell the story and make sure that everyone feels like it's doing that. And I think for me, songwriting is kind of a freedom and a little bit of a rebellion from caring what anybody taking anyone's, you know, opinions into consideration. So it's very freeing to sometimes I'll be working on a score and I'll get a little idea and I'm like, Oh, that's way too weird and doesn't fit with this film at all. But I'm going to just take that nugget and throw it into a song and put a weird beat behind it. And like, (laughs) it's nice to be able to do both and just be reckless and express myself song wise and not worry too much. Um, But I love both and they're, yeah, they're really different and they're, they're both really challenging. I think with songs, I want to be memorable and I want to stick in your head and, um, you know, immediately grab somebody who's listening. Whereas with a score, I think when I first started out scoring um, films and shows, I was doing too much. It's like, that's a really nice melody, but we don't need that right here. And it's distracting, <laughs> you know, and you have to learn to pull back and really let the story and the acting and the scene happen and just support it, which is usually a lot less than anything you would do for a song. I mean, unless it's a big action scene, of course, like music can get really big too, but um, yeah, learning to pay attention to the scene and, and not make it about the music really and just kind of help help it all feel right is a totally different thing. So they're both both challenging. What was the first thing you ever scored? The first thing I ever scored, a friend of mine, Dana Morris, was doing a surf documentary called Beneath the Surface. And he liked some of my sketches of songs. I hadn't released any songs. So I must have just emailed him something And he asked if I wanted to score a scene that was kind of like a surf montage. Um, And then I ended up doing the trailer for the film. And that was, yeah, that was one of my early things that I released. And um, from there, gosh, what came after that? I, I think from after that, I got into a phase where I was working um, at a company that did music for advertisements and I was, still really learning how to properly record things and how to work to a visual picture. And so I did a lot of, of songwriting and ad music writing. And it wasn't until for several years later that I had the opportunity to do more film type stuff. So. How, how did you know that this was a career? I'm comedian David Race in Los Angeles. I host a celebrity-filled paranormal talk show like no other. Monstrosity has great guests answering weird questions. 
You won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like Monstrosity, or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. It took a while. Um, it, it, I quit my marketing day job um, when I was maybe four or five years, three, three to five years, I can't remember how long, into kind of like serious, I'm trying to figure out how to produce music and compose songs and compositions at the same time. So I would leave work and I would immediately get home and just try to work on whatever music projects I had going. And that after a few years of that, it felt like, okay, I can, I think I can pay rent if I stop the marketing and just focus on this. But it was definitely slim for a while. You know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it took, it's just been a long journey and, uh, it didn't feel like a real career until not that long ago, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. My grandma would always say, you need to become a lawyer or a doctor. I'm like, no, I, I think, I think I can do this, you know? And it took, uh, yeah, it took a lot of time to convince uh, my family's always been super supportive, but but my grandma specifically was really wanting the lawyer doctor thing. <laughs> Don't they all? I feel like everybody wants that. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun to prove them wrong. I know, yeah. I know. Yeah, and it, it feels really nice. Like, see, look, I'm I'm paying bills and and I'm happy. Yes. Well, and yeah. then your artist your artist name is an homage to your mother, correct? It is. Yes. Um, she is half Japanese. She was born in Japan and um, Kotomi is her name. And when she moved to the U S when they moved to the U S um, she, her name became Kathy, but so she goes by Kathy, but uh, yeah, Kotomi was, is her Japanese name. And we have it. She has, my great grandma did calligraphy of her name. That's kind of up on the walls at my mom's house. And I just always thought it was really beautiful. And, and, a lot of Japanese names have meaning inherent to them. And Kotomi means old city's beauty, uh, which my grandma told me. And I think, you know, knowing that she loved that name and picked it out and it just meant a lot to me. So my mom told me when the time came and I was actually going to release a song, I was like, mom, I don't know what to call it. My name's at the time, Lauren Hillman, which is a lot like Lauren Hill. It's one syllable different. Uh, don't look too mm. right. And she's like, you can tell me if you want. It's like, oh, that's perfect. And yeah, I'm super close with my mom. So it's an honor to use her name. Has that ancestry and that, you know, the, the culture of Japanese music, has that influenced your own work? You know, we didn't necessarily listen to... Japanese music. I mean, I, I culturally, I think the food was a huge part of my childhood. Um, sure. Yeah, but my, my grandma was actually really into opera and classical music, um, which my mom was uh, played classical music, classical piano all growing up. And that was like really important to my grandma. That was like a, a big deal in her family growing up. And so in turn, when she was raising me, it was important to her. And so she had me 
in piano lessons at age five. She's, she's a beautiful pianist and a wonderful singer and she's very, very musical. Um, so yeah, my, I guess I could probably attribute it all to my grandma having a love for classical music and that passing through my mom to me, which is definitely the foundation of the way I probably hear melodies and things like that. So if you hop in your car and you're cruising around, what are you listening to? Like now, currently? Mm -hmm. um, lately, I mean, gosh, I, I just started listening to Japanese Breakfast. It was pretty awesome. Um, I like Tame Impala. Um, Arlo Parks is cool. Um, oh, what did I, uh, the Avalanches album was really fun. I had that on quite a bit. And a lot of, sadly, NPR, <laughs> not sadly, but as a kid, I remember <laughs> my parents would listen to, you know, talking. And I'm like, why, why would you be listening to music nonstop? And I always did. And, and in the last, you know, several years, I find myself listening to a lot of podcasts to try to keep up with everything that's going on. I know. Isn't that funny how that changes as a kid? Yeah. My parents always had the AM station on, but it wasn't like AM gold music. It was like news radio and I hated it. And yeah. now I host two podcasts. So it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's funny how that happens. I guess I'm becoming a boring grown up a little bit. That's okay. Right. <laughs> happens to the best of us. <laughs> yeah, totally. And sometimes listening to song songs, is most of the time it's an escape, but and it's fun and freeing, but sometimes it makes me think a lot. And I talking, I can almost relax more in a way. Um, or I don't know, just if it's been a long day of, of music writing and listening to my mixes and analyzing things, sometimes I just, I don't feel, I like need a little break. And so I'll listen to people talk podcasts. <laughs> I think that's like a lot of musicians that we've spoken to that happens. And my mom's an opera singer. And that was always when I was a kid, she'd be like, turn it down because you're just, it's in you all day. And it's not that you don't still love it, but you just need to shut it off for a minute. So yeah, yeah. A little bit, a little bit. But then every time I listen and just enjoy music, it usually sparks new ideas. And I'm so glad that I'm, that I am. So it's still obviously important. And so in addition to the film, obviously you've done so much or the commercials you mentioned of Victor, which is phenomenal. And then the, of course the, the piece for Rick and Morty, which has been listened to a gazillion times. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when that, when, the first time you hear that you've, uh, something you've contributed to has reached a million listens, what does that feel like? Cause we haven't reached that yet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that, was, that was a first for me for sure with with Rick and Morty with Don't Look Back. Um, yeah, I definitely had not come that close. I had one song that made it onto the Spotify New Music Friday playlist, and I remember it was kind of wedged between artists that I really liked, and I thought that was crazy. And I, I got wow. like a couple hundred thousand plays in a week, and so that felt. I mean, every little little and big thing feels like a huge deal when it's progress um but yeah the rick and morty song was uh, it's super surreal the fans of that show are really really passionate and they're amazing i mean they they comment on you know a lot of them have 
found their way to other songs of mine and lots of messages, which I, I try to respond to everybody. And so it was very exciting to have so many people listening to it. And it's such a weird, awesome show. Um, and my friend is the composer for that show. And so, um, and we used to work at the same company that, and we both wrote music for ads together. Um, so it's fun when you see your friends go on to do amazing things and yeah, when they want to collaborate, it's always exciting. Super fun. So what's next? What is next? Um, I hope more film scores. I am loving that work and, and I love, yeah, TV and film is where I hope to do, I hope to see my career stay in that zone. And, um, you know, season two of, I'm working on two shows right now, Love Victor and Nancy Drew. Nancy Drew is airing already. Um, so we're kind of like writing for that as, and we're a few episodes ahead. And Love Victor, I believe, comes out June 11th. I hope I'm not saying that wrong. Um, so yeah, season two, and then hopefully further seasons of those shows. And um, I'm working on a short film right now that I'm really excited about. Um, there's some other potential projects in the works. So just hoping to stay busy on the composing front and um, more songs. Um, I'm working on, I want to say an album. Um, I have, I think, seven songs currently, most of which I wrote during quarantine kind of in the last year. Um, so I'm pretty excited about those. So I, I may actually try to film some videos that go with those and kind of see if I can, I haven't actually released any music videos yet. So I'm trying to, you know, do that for some of these songs. And I hope to put that body of work out, um, maybe late summer if I can get it together. So yeah, when I finish composing, I jump over and pick one of my songs and chip away at it. Um, and also try to not constantly work <laughs> and enjoy myself. You can check us out on all the various socials. Be sure to visit our website and don't forget to leave us a review. Today's show is produced by myself and Heidi Hegquist. Our reluctant producers are John Sauvet and Sandy Stone. Our willing producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Jeanette. Our intern is Zach Jackson. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home. Nigel, is that you? Are you here, Nigel?